We are in our series in Romans, and uh, we are in week nine of our series. Um, the whole idea of, of Romans is, is the Apostle Paul, um, the first missionary, writing this letter to the Christians in Rome. And uh, what's been really exciting is, um, you know, Romans is one of the most systematic letters that, that, that's in the Bible. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul takes 11 chapters to explain thoroughly what is it that we believe. I think one of the questions that, that so many Christians struggle with is when someone comes to us and says, what is it that you believe? Like, you're a Christian. What does it actually mean for you to be a Christian? And I think those are some of the issues that, that were happening around in Rome at the time. And so the Apostle takes this letter to write to them and systematically go through what does it mean for us to be Jesus' followers. But he doesn't just stop there, and this is the section that we're in now. He takes the second part of his letter, and he goes from what is it that we believe to how is it that we should live. How is it that, what, what do we, how do we take what we learn, how do we take what we believe, our faith, and actually apply it in our lives? Last week, we talked about relationship. We talked about our relationship with God, our relationship with other believers, and even our relationship with our enemies. And this week, Paul continues. Uh, last week, the title was Theory and Practice. Uh, honestly, uh, didn't really think too much about this week's title, so it's just Theory and Practice Part 2. <laughs> okay? And we're going to go off uh, Romans chapter 13, verse 1 to 14, and we will get to that. But let me start with this question. Is it okay to be dodgy when you pay your tax? Okay? Now, I know some of you are already like, oh, I shouldn't have come today. <laughs> you know? Is it okay to be dodgy when you pay your taxes? All right? Well, maybe you don't work. How about this? Is it okay... For you to lend, with inverted commas, your assignment to your friend so that they can have an outline <laughs> so that they can learn and do their assignment. Is that a form of plagiarism or is that just... Helping your friend. Should we obey all traffic laws when we drive? Like we know the big ones like don't drink and drive. But if it says 80, should we be going at 80? Or as one of my mentors used to say, 88s because you can add GST to it. <laughs> what Romans 13 talks about is what does it mean for us as Christians in our surroundings? For most of us, when we start to get asked these kinds of ideas about, well, what does Christianity look like in the world? How do we live in the world? Um, 
There are two things that we do. Firstly, we separate worldly things with our faith. We go traffic laws, it's got nothing to do with God. Paying taxes, that's got nothing to do with God. You know, listening to your lecturer, that's got nothing to do with God. That's my faith world and that's my real world. That's the first thing that we do. And secondly, what happens is because we separate them, of course, you would take everything in your faith world seriously. But because it's not a part of your faith world, most of us go, hmm, shrug our shoulders, hmm, turn a blind eye, hmm, press the accelerator just that little bit more. Because in our minds, they're separate. Does God care? how we pay taxes? Does God care how we obey or disobey our government? Does God care how we vote? Romans 12, Paul addresses the relationships. And, and you know what? No one finished, no, no one would have read Romans 12 and gone, oh yeah, you know, relationship with our friends is separate from our faith. No, we all get that part. Love God, love people. We all get that. No one questions that. But as soon as we go beyond people and we start talking about things like institution, government, school, suddenly we separate them. We go, wait a minute, this is not a faith issue. But what Paul is going to do is, in chapter 13, he's going to remove these boundaries and show us this, that God is concerned with every area of our life. That being a Jesus follower is not limited just to the faith matters or the spiritual matters of relationships or worship, but actually goes every area of your life. And that's because when we believe in Jesus, when we're transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, every area is transformed, not just your faith areas. Paul begins his teaching in verse 1. And he's going to state his position right here. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. That's the foundation of what Paul says. He says, as Christians, we should be subject to the governing authorities. And that might be the governing authority of your school. That might be the governing authority of your workplace. That might be the governing authority of this nation. And what Paul says is that we need to be subject to them. Why? Because no authority except no authority exists except that which God has established. We need to note this from the beginning. To be negligent to authority is not the answer. To run away from authority is not the answer. To disconnect yourself from authority is not the answer. When the gospel of Jesus has transformed you, you're called to be the salt and light. And you can't do that if you close your eyes. You can't do that if you disconnect. Christians are called to submit to governing authorities. And Paul's going to give us four reasons why. Okay? First one is this. It is part of God's plan. Verse 1 to 4. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against 
what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath in bringing punishment on the wrongdoer. What Paul says is this. No one in government, no one in authority got there on their own. It's all part of God's plan. It's all a part of his plan. No leader in this world has been appointed without the permission of God. Now, does this mean all leaders are good? No. Not at all. But does that mean that God can't use sinful people? In the Old Testament, we see stories over and over again of how God raised wicked kings over his own people, and yet they are allowed to lead, and yet they fail. But does that mean God is not in control? No. God has never lost control. God is always in control. Having ungodly leadership does not scare God. But God can use ungodly leadership for his own purposes. Consequently, this verse 2, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. It's what God has instituted. I'll use two examples, right? Let's think North Korea. My kids, I don't know why, but it seems to be a funny conversation in their playground. They always talk about Kim Jong-un. They always make comparisons about who's Kim Jong-un and who's Donald Trump. And you're Kim Jong-un, you're doing a Kim Jong-un thing, right? And, you know, kids are innocent, right? right? But here's the question, right? Is God not in control of North Korea because Kim Jong-un is the dictator there? Right? God is in control. Has God lost his mind? No, not at all. God knows exactly what he's doing. What about in the States? You know? When, you know, a famous celebrity became, you know, the most powerful man in America, people thought, well, Jesus is coming. You know, this is the end. Like, literally, people are like, well, we've hit rock bottom. This is the end. And you know what? The world hasn't ended yet. People were up in arms. Does that mean that God doesn't love America? Does that mean God doesn't love the people in America? Does that mean God doesn't love the people in the world? No. God is still in control. I know sometimes this is hard to comprehend because if we were God, right, there's no way that Kim Jong-un would be in power. There's no way that Donald Trump would be in power. The Rock would be the president of America if I was, okay, in control, Okay. But it's like illness. You know, there's a lot of illness right now, and, and it's really bad this, this season, right? People are getting sick left, right, and center. You know, even like half the people here, you're sick, I know. So let's just not get close to each other tonight, okay? Did we create illness? No, sorry. Did God create illness? 
<laughs> did God create illness? On the eighth day, God created the cold. No, he didn't. Where did illness come from? It came from sin. It came from our brokenness. Now, in illness, is God not in control? We see throughout the whole Bible that even when there is time of physical illness, it does not mean that God is not in control. God is in complete control. Verse 4, they are God's servants. Here's the amazing part. They are God's servants. Do you know that Donald Trump is God's servant? I think Donald Trump would think of himself as God sometimes, but he's God's servant. Kim Jong-un is God's servant. They just don't know it. Agents of wrath to bring punishment or wrong. Can a non-Christian do the work of God? Of course they can. God can use anything. God can use anything and anyone for his purposes. So for us to say, so for us to say they are they are evil. And therefore, I will not obey them and I will not follow them. Actually, what you're saying is, I don't trust God. Because in my mind, in my opinion, they're bad. Therefore, I'm not going to follow them. I'm not going to submit to them. But what you're actually saying is, I don't trust that even in this situation, God is in control. But God is in control. God has never lost control. Even when it feels like it's chaos, God is in control. We submit to authorities because they are a part of God's plan. Secondly, it's a matter of our conscience. Verse 5 to 7 says, Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Give to them. Our conscience is our moral compass. It directs us to what is right and what is wrong. You, you know, when, you get, when you're sort of stuck doing something wrong and there's that voice inside of you that says, hey, dude, that's wrong. Okay, that's your conscience. Okay, either that's your conscious or that's your mum. And if it's your mum, that's freaky, okay, because your mum's like following you around going, dude, that's wrong, you know. It's your conscious speaking. And as people who have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus, our conscious, our moral compass should always lead us not to what we think is right and wrong, but to what Jesus thinks is right and wrong. Do you know that when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we surrender our conscience to him too. We surrender the right to decide what I think is right and wrong. And we go, well, Jesus, what do you think is right and wrong? And I'll go with that. We don't determine. We give up that right to determine. In verse 7, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Last week we read in Romans 12, 17, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If we can acknowledge that God has plans for these authorities to be above us and watching over us and leading us, then our conscience should lead us to do the right thing, which is to obey and submit. Thirdly, it's not just a part of God's plan. It's not just a matter of conscience, but Paul says it's a way that we love. Verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt of love 
for one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. That's what Paul says. This is why we should submit. This is why we should submit to governing authorities. This is what Paul's saying. It's because it's a matter of love. Paul says it as believers that, that not only should we trust God, not only should we be doing the right thing, but what Paul's saying is that it's actually the loving thing to do. Our prime minister is Malcolm Turnbull. Some of you may or may not know that. <laughs> now, I don't think Paul's saying that we need to write to Malcolm Turnbull and go, Dear sir, I love you. I thoroughly, thoroughly love you. That'd be weird, right? But I think what Paul is saying is that, that in the way that we submit and obey our governing authorities, not out of a way of like, complaining, but in a joyful way, that we demonstrate a love that does not exist in the world. How funny is it when you talk to your friends, your neighbors about our government? How negative is that conversation? Hey, have you ever had a positive conversation about politics? Wow, I love, I love the Senate. I love how they voted for us. I love our prime minister. No, every conversation that we have about politics is how crap they are and how much I could do better, which is a lie. You could not do better. But what if our conversations about our government, about our lecturers, about our bosses was different? Instead of complaining, we would submit joyfully. Imagine that. You'd probably get isolated at work probably wouldn't have any friends at work and they probably wouldn't come and tell you all their dark secrets but it's the way that we love people that makes it different jesus says this in in john 13 by this everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another do you know do you know that that's what sets us apart as christians in this world it's not how much Bible you know. It's not how much theology you know. It's about how much you love one another. That's what separates us as Jesus' disciples. So when we talk about government, instead of having a rip on them, imagine if our conversation was flavored with grace. Imagine if we could take a loving approach to our government or your boss, or your teacher, don't you think that that would make an impact? Whole countries insulting the government, complaining about taxes, disputing parking tickets. But as Christians, if we serve and submit because of the love that we have for one another, don't you think that this would make a bigger difference in our society? It's the way that we love. Finally, we submit to governing authorities. And this is what Paul says. I couldn't think of a, a shorter way to write this. It's what Jesus would want to see when he returns. Verse 11 to 14. And do this, okay, do all of this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is 
nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently. I love that. Let us behave decently. As in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul finishes this chapter and he says, take a step back from your life for a moment. These are the reasons why he believes that we need to submit and obey to our governing authorities. He says, pause and take a step back. Okay, you you need to submit because they are under God's plans. It's the right thing. It's the loving thing to do. And he says, and also and finally, it's because Jesus is going to come back soon. Jesus is going to come back soon. It's interesting how, you know, when you first read this, you think, okay, Obeying, you know, obeying the local government and Jesus returning. How do we connect those? Paul brings this up because what Paul is asking the reader to do is to take a step back and think about the context of their lives. I remember James said it in in, in worship today. When we lose focus of eternity... Right? When we lose focus of eternity that we're a part of. You know what? Our lives aren't about the zero to 80, the zero to the 100. That's not the reason of our existence. We don't live to live 100 fulfilling years. No, our lives are but a smudge on the timeline of eternity. And what Paul says is, hey, take a step back and put yourself on the timeline of eternity. What's your context then? He says, look at the bigger picture. We live under the government that God has ordained because God has allowed it. Doesn't mean it's perfect because we stuffed it up. Man stuffed it up. It's really broken, actually. Depending on what country you live in, it's more broken than others. But on the bigger scope of things, Jesus will return. Jesus will return. So be ready and live according to that reality. You know, sometimes we, sometimes we, we can get very short-sighted. We can be very narrow-minded about the things in our lives. You know, our kids are, are probably the best example of this. Then and there, if it doesn't happen, my life is over. I remember once our second son, Ben, it's one of the best stories. He got in trouble from his mum. Of course. And um, he's just crying. He's just upset. He's just like sobbing. And then he comes up and goes, you ruined me. Like that was it. Like, Like Mel ruined his whole life because he got in trouble about something that he probably did. Now, I wasn't there. If I was there, I would have kept everyone under control. Calm and controlled. All right? Mel ruined Ben's life in that moment. You know what's funny? We think like that. We live like that. Something bad happens to us and we automatically go to God and say, you ruined me. 
you, you destroyed me. And I think God's saying, well, take a step back. You've got all of eternity. This is just a dot. I think that's what Paul's trying to show us. But the reality is this. Nobody woke up this morning thinking about eternity. Right? Who wakes up thinking about eternity? If we're honest, we all woke up thinking about today. If you're a planner, you even thought about tomorrow. Okay? That's as far as we get. We think about today and we think about tomorrow. And all we can see, all we can feel and all we can fathom is what is in front of us. But what Paul's saying is, remember, you live on an eternal scale. Not a lifetime, an eternity. And that's the reason why we're called to obey and submit to government. Like for us, right? The worst that it gets for us in Australia, okay? And, you know, we do, you know, the Australian government is by far perfect, okay? Um, you know, no one's in politics here. I just need to be careful. Um, you know, the, the worst thing that happens to us is the government wakes up one day and goes, you know what, we're going to put a GST. I don't know if you guys remember this. Maybe you're too young when this happened. But the GST wasn't always around, you know. Like, if it was a dollar, it used to just be a dollar, okay. And then one day the government said, you know what, we're going to create a fair attack system. We're going we're gonna to stick a GST on 95% of the products, right. It was like the world ended, Literally, people were so upset that a dollar became a dollar ten. You know? Right? For us, you and I, no one's even thought about GST. But when the GST came in, it was like companies' values just crumbled. Like, it was horrible. It's like when petrol prices went up. You know, most of you guys probably been driving, probably not for that long. You know, you just think that petrol is always, you know, $1.30, $1.40, $1.60 a litre. You know, there was a time when I first started driving in 1999. Okay, I know some of you weren't born then, but that's okay. We had cars back then. Okay, Chris asked me, Chris, he goes, Dad, do you have a computer when you were growing up? And I was like, wait a minute, did I have a computer when I was growing up? And I was like, yes, in high school, you know. Petrol, my first tank, I still remember, 61 cents a litre, right? When, when, the, when the petrol companies had to put the extra one, it was like riots. See, this is the society we live in, right? And like, let's be honest. We live in a good society if that's the worst that it gets. We don't live in the Americas, you know, we don't live in the North Koreas. We don't live in the Africas. We don't live where governments literally kill people. No one woke up this morning and thought, Malcolm Turnbull, he's going to go crazy, and then people are going to start shooting people. No, we, we don't live like that. No, we, we're blessed. But does that mean that, that God is not in control here and there? Does that mean that if Jesus comes back, that we're going to be okay and they're not going to be okay? Can I tell you, when Jesus comes back, it's not going to matter who's in the government. It's not going to matter who the prime minister is. It's not going to matter who the president of the United States is because when Jesus comes back, there's only going to be one king. 
is going to be Jesus. But the problem is we don't, we're too narrow-minded. No one here woke up and thought at 10 o'clock this morning, "Mm, I should live for eternity. I should really put things in perspective. You know? Half of us were still sleeping at 10 o'clock in the morning. You know, let's be honest, right? You You didn't wake up and go, man, I need to live my life well today just in case Jesus comes back. Okay, if Jesus came back 10 o'clock this morning, what would Jesus have found you doing? Mm, sleeping, for half of you, okay? You know, uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, I was still in bed. I, I wasn't praying. Were you, were you praying at 10 o'clock in the morning? Jesus, come. Are you going to come today? I want to honor you today. You know, singing hymns, you know, playing our guitars at home. Most of us, not only were we not thinking about Jesus, some of us probably doing things that Jesus wouldn't be too impressed with either. But why do we continue to do that? Because no one in their mind lives with eternity in mind. But what Paul's saying is, you should. You should. For us, eternity and the the, the return of Jesus is not reality, but actually, biblically speaking, it's the greatest reality. It's the most real thing that Jesus will return. Paul reminds us that when Jesus, not if he returns, but when he returns, what will he come back to see you doing? Will you be living for the will of God or will you be living for yourselves? And he finishes in verse 14, rather... Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. This is a life that is transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, this is how we should be living it out. Friends, the Bible doesn't tell us that we need to submit to governing authorities, our bosses or our lecturers because they are good or because they deserve it. The Bible does not say that. The Bible tells us that we should submit to them because they are still under God's control. They are, it is all a part of God's plan. And it's good for our conscience, meaning it's the right thing to do. It's a place where we can do the loving thing. And it's what Jesus would want us to be doing when he returns. Sometimes we don't have to agree with leadership. We don't have to feel it from the bottom of our hearts that we should submit to authority. But as believers who have been transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ, we do it because it's what God wants for us. And that's enough for us to do it. It's enough for us to just trust him. So, let me answer those questions at the beginning. Should you be dodgy when you do your taxes? And the answer is no. (laughs) Find a good accountant. I can give you the number of mine. Very good. Robert Wong, if you listen to my podcast, this one's for you. My accountant's a non-Christian guy. 
And so he's fully, he gets fully confused about what I do as a pastor. And so when we go to like deductions, he just does not understand. But you know what I tell him? He goes, what do you want me to do with this? And I say, I want you to be fair. Because I think that's what God would want. I say, I want nothing more and I want nothing less than what I deserve. And that's what this guy gives me. And I think that's what we need to be giving to God. Obey and submit to governing authorities because it's what God wants. Amen? Let's pray.